Welcome to Failure to Stop. This is the Failure to Stop channel, obviously, and this is the Comm Center. Look, our goal is to entertain and inform first responders and truth-seeking civilians. Tonight, the dispatchers, it's all about you. Here's what we're going to talk about on the show tonight. There's a self-absorbed YouTuber who should have taken her own advice but didn't. She's in jail. Kendra is coming along for the ride, and we're going to finally determine what her nickname is. And John is going to teach your kids to smoke. All that and what it means for your weekend on the Comp Center. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Shootings in New York City have more than doubled this year. Tonight, it's the Comm Center crossing over with True Crime, your host for tonight, former cops Drew Breezy and Kenja Drama. I'm John. Drew, how are you doing tonight, man? Oh, man, I couldn't be better. I'm on fire. <laughs> you are on fire. Know. Well, that sounds like an emergency. <laughs> no, I, I uh, just uh, went to the bathroom just prior to coming in here. Uh, Taco so. Bell moment. So how have you been? How, how's the last week been since I last talked to you? We did do last it's call yesterday, but it feels like a week since I talked to you. Yeah, it seems like forever. I mean, I get lonely when I don't talk to you. So um, I, I'm doing better since uh, since yesterday, I guess. And um, I don't that, know, John. That, I mean, that last call episode, honestly, that was one of the best ones, which is really mean to say because Eric wasn't there. <laughs> but I, I thought it was a great show. It was really fun to do with you. We got to do it again sometime. Uh, yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, I always have a good time with you and Josh, our extraordinary producer, Josh, yeah, Deadlight he's... Media, Josh. He's screening calls tonight, but uh, it's just a week of fun crossovers because uh, we've also got Kendra from True Crime Tuesday turning this show into True Crime Thursday. Kendra, I also have not spoken to you in uh, 10 to 12 days. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. I'm just kidding. I was texting <laughs> Kendra the entire day and I know damn well how she's doing. Uh, tonight, <laughs> we're going to tackle a case uh, that's got a chilling 911 call in it. That's kind of where I come in. After that, we're going to have Drew... Uh, talk about uh, criminal charges that are going to come out of this case and kendra is going to going to tell us the true crime story and the style that only she can and it's uh, going to be a fun crossover drew uh, how soon did you want to get into that or do we have any news i forgot to ask before the show which kind of puts you on the spot which i apologize no i've got a new story i want to talk about a little bit uh just because it, it, it affects a lot of people um in a lot of the stuff that we talk about, there was a 29-year-old man that was arrested Monday uh, in uh, Los Angeles County, and it was just uh, three short days after he had pulled alongside. He's accused of pulling alongside uh, the car of a deputy sheriff and uh, just completely assassinating him in, in uh, broad daylight. Uh, actually, I think it was at night, but uh, he pulled right alongside the, the man's, the deputy's car and pulled the trigger and killed him. The deputy's name is uh, Deputy Ryan Clickenbroomer. Uh, and uh, the sad part about it is Ryan was just recently um, engaged to be married. He is a third-generation L.A. Sheriff's uh, Department uh, deputy. His father and his grandfather were both um, employees or, you know, I'm pretty sure they were in law enforcement. He had just he served time as a field training officer. He did nothing but contribute great 
things to society. And um, thank God that uh, that assassin who, you know, they still haven't released a motive, if there ever is a motive, um, is off the streets. And um, what the sheriff said, uh, or actually what his family uh, said, is that he was dedicated, he was hardworking, and he was uh, proud to serve alongside his colleagues. Ryan made the ultimate sacrifice in doing so. The statement said Ryan was recently engaged to the love of his life. As our firstborn son, Ryan will be greatly missed by the family, friends, and sheriff's department as a whole. Um, he had just left the sheriff's station in, in Palmdale, uh, a city of more than 167,000 residents in the high desert of northern uh, Los Angeles County. A good Samaritan, however, spotted him and alerted the uh, station personnel. The department later released grainy surveillance video of a dark-colored sedan that pulled alongside the patrol car in the moments before the shooting. Sheriff Luna of LA uh, County said that the community members came forward with information that led homicide investigators to identify the suspect. There was a SWAT standoff for quite a while, uh, and then the guy uh, surrendered peacefully so he can uh, be hopefully tried and convicted. It's reminiscent of a case, you know, this happened to me last week where uh, when I was doing comp center, I, I, I talked openly about uh, how this reminded me of, of two in the line of duty deaths that uh, occurred when I was working, when I was still employed, uh, before I retired, I should say. Uh, and one of them was a head on a drunk driver killed, you know, just a, a bright star in our, uh, in our department. Uh, great kid. It, it kind of reminds me of this Brian click and boomer thing. Uh, his name is John Cotfila. And then there was another one that uh, another guy that used to work directly with me. We were on the same street crime squad together. We were supervisors on the same, uh, street crime squad. His name was, um, Brian Levine. He was a corporal. Uh, he had three days left before his retirement, and um, he was killed by a domestic violence suspect who drove into him intentionally. Uh, so last week's uh, comp center was kind of reminiscent of that. Just, you know, not trying to bring everybody down, but trying to show you that this is real. Like, uh, this is real life, and these these things have implications. This defund the police, and um, when you vilify police and constantly undermine their authority and and um and do it for political gain these things have real life consequences this family is without their son now we no longer have brian with us we no longer have john Cofila with us that, although there was a drunk driving thing and not to minimize that at, at all uh we had a very similar situation here in hillsborough county uh, i think it was in 2009 if i'm not mistaken there was a a dui sergeant ron harrison who had just left the 7-eleven at the end of his shift uh, met with a couple guys at the 7-Eleven, just left, and he was sitting at a, a traffic light, and somebody pulled alongside of him and, and assassinated him. He just shot him right in the head. Um, and the reason I'm bringing that up, John, is uh, I know that you talk a lot about negotiating and um, and and stuff like that. So think of uh, think of the mental health aspect of the negotiator that had to respond to the house of the guy that shot this this sergeant that we all knew and and respected. Um, and uh, 90% of the department just wants to get their hands on this guy. And you're the negotiator who's in the 10% that's just trying to peacefully get him to come outside. And I'm sure the exact same thing happened in LA uh, County, uh, you know, where you have a negotiator and a SWAT team who is just like, you know, they're, 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 um, their bullshit meter is pegged. Uh, they're probably at a 10 out of 10 uh, 
but they know they have to bring this guy out safely because that's what the job is. And um, hopefully, you know, this guy gets some kind of trial and, and puts get, gets put in prison for the rest of his life. But these are just the things that you don't think about, the conflicts that police officers go through, the conflicts that dispatchers go through, people like John who do the, uh, the, the, do the uh, negotiating conflicts he has to go through. I mean, you know, he's got to befriend the, the guy that essentially is the biggest villain uh, in a, in a three or 4,000 mile radius that night. Um, you know, uh, th- these things are real life. So when, you know, you just casually make these off comments on social media about how horrible police are, or how racist police are, or how they don't care about you, or, um, you know, there, there was a bad, uh, there was a bad viral video that went out, uh, with the 11 year old girl that, um, somebody had, or she had taken pictures of herself. Somebody had manipulated her into taking pictures and this became such a calamity. And, uh, this is, you know, the, the comments that I read were like, well, this is policing in America in 2023 and it's not, it, it really isn't. I, I don't know if you all know about the video I'm talking about. I'm sure you have Mike, the cop did, did a YouTube video about it. I mean, it's outrageous I, to hear her say it, but go ahead, John. I saw it and I, I had a different opinion than most. Um, you know, if we if we do want to talk about that at all, I guess, you know, my takes on it, which, you know, the person who shared it with me was one of my friends on Instagram, the follower of the show, and uh, he did not appreciate my opinion. Uh, but luckily, we can talk about these things and disagree. So their arrival time to the scene was six hours late. I guess everybody was in bed, which was part of the, part of the context of the situation that that was somehow disrespectful. You have this 11 year old girl who's taking pictures. She's been manipulated. So everyone's safe. The situation's secure. I think six hours is probably, you know, kind of a long time to wait, but I don't think it's unreasonable depending on what else was going on that night. Yeah. She shows up and, and it, as it turns out, I think this is the most important part is that the, the dad wanted the cops to talk to the girl about it. Um, so here's kind of where I go down on a limb. I don't think it's the job of the police to talk to kids about doing the wrong thing i think if you've got an 11 year old girl who's unsupervised with technology you've got a parenting problem and what i viewed this through was the lens of how often police officers are called to do parenting okay so take that out of the equation you know now the police are not there to talk to her because hopefully her father is is taking care of that it's very hard to investigate crimes like that sometimes the person who's doing those things may not be in the jurisdiction maybe out of the country who even knows uh, the officer came on strong when she said that, you know, the child is generating child pornography. In a certain sense, I guess I viewed that as as true. The kid's taking pictures of herself. We're talking about an 11-year-old. And she said, you know, she kind of implied that charges could be pending. I think we know that no prosecutor or judge is going to want to see that go before a criminal court, go in front of a jury. That's going to be taken care of in a non-judicial fashion. So in a sense, she's coming on a little strong when she says, you know, your, your daughter's generating child porn. But in the other, in a, in a, in a, like a strict pragmatic sense, like that was what was happening. And I appreciated the fact that like she came out and said, like, you know, uh, you, you guys are, are playing the victim card here. Not to say that they're not victims because that little girl is. But it's like in a very broad sense to talk about all kinds of reports that go to police. Very often people see themselves as the victim and they play the victim card and they don't acknowledge any part of their own culpability in it. OK, so I'm not saying like hang this girl to drive for, for what she did like. I'm in favor of handling this in a non-judicious, non-judicious fashion. But um, like 
they need to understand that like there's there's a certain role that she's playing and what's going on i'm not saying blame the victim but like that is what's happening she's she's generating this and when that when the and when the guy said well you know you guys forget it take off and the cops turn around and left in a sense they were doing him a favor should it have gone down differently probably yes uh but i guess i wasn't as appalled as, as most people are. i didn't see mike the cop mike yeah, the cop take on it but that's I, not I, what i felt go ahead I'm and Kendra, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, but I, 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 I kind of had a similar take. Like, obviously, he called and he's mad because, but the inflammatory words in the whole thing were like, he had to wait six hours for their response. Then they finally show up. And this is what the cop says. And yeah, I mean, so maybe she's uneducated on the statute. Maybe she's 100% correct because we don't know the other side of the story. I, I tend to think that. You know, an eleven-year-old girl taking nude photos of herself is a is quite an issue. I'm not sure if it's a law enforcement issue in this case or not, but it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. But w when when people start using inflammatory words just to turn people against the cops, like waiting six hours and but it, it, it was a low priority. I mean, the, the kid's not in in threat being threatened. No one's in danger. And, yeah. and, and his statement was what he said was. Yeah, I don't even think there's anything you can do about it, is there? And she's and he's like, she's in bed, she's sleeping. I don't think there's anything you could do about it. But you know, I just wanted you to talk to her and blah blah blah. He called to have the cops come and talk to her and tell her how dangerous this is. And so, I mean, is this a case that was blown out of proportion? I don't know. I I, I agree with you know from a parent standpoint, like you definitely don't want to hear. Yeah, well, we could, we're just going to charge your eleven-year-old daughter for taking nude photos of herself. That's that's not a, it's not an appropriate response. I agree, um, and and it definitely could have been handled better. But this, my point is, that could have been handled by calling her supervisor, by calling internal affairs, by calling, mm -hmm. not by running to Instagram and using all these inflammatory words, and then then ended up then when you're post goes viral the first thing it says in it is welcome to policing in america in 2023 because you're spitting on the 99.9999 percent of the people that don't act that way yeah, one have have it, have positive contacts every single day there's millions right. of positive contacts a day and and two i i, I almost like I, I was talking to my wife about this i mean you know i i wanted to say look we all work with this person we all work with a girl just like that. We all work with a guy just like that who who can piss off the Pope. Um, but I don't even know if that's the case here. But I, I but I, I am telling you they exist. Kendra, did you see the video? Do you where where do you stand on it? I haven't seen the video, but from the context of what you guys are saying, I agree that I think a lot of people expect the cops to be their personal disciplinarians or bodyguards or whatever the situation is. And I think in my experience, if there's a, a child that is out of control or the parents don't know how to parent, the first thing they do is call 911 to scare the kid or get some sort of third party to agree with them. And when you don't agree with what the parents are trying to do, they get extremely angry. Excellent they don't, point. Yeah. They don't understand that you're not the parent. They are the parent. I, right. I, sus I suspect that's why that that officer got angry was because is uh, when he says there's nothing you could do she's asleep i wanted you to talk to her her immediate response is well you know you need to be taking care of this she's creating a problem uh and, and again i'm not arguing that but i'm saying you know she's creating a problem you want me to show up 
and you want me to be her parent. But what I'm as a police officer and when I find crime, I prosecute that crime. So mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you, you know, is maybe you shouldn't have reported this to me, which, again, I'm not saying, but maybe this is attitude. Maybe you shouldn't have reported to me that your daughter is, is creating child pornography. That comes off strong, but it's but it's a, a huge heat check towards, uh, you know, uh, do you want me to to uh, police your children for you? Do you want me to parent your children for you? And that was kind of what I got mm -hmm. from it. But Drew, if I may ask, I, I know you're about to kick off another point. Just something to think about. You you mentioned the, the sex of the officer, and I actually thought of this at the time. But it's like, and Kendra, I'm glad you're here because this uh, helps keep me from being a, a total dick because you get to have a, <laughs> a, a say here. But it's like, do you think female police officers, because there was a male officer that was her partner there, do you think female police officers maybe have to come off a little stronger in situations like this, because so often female police officers are, are tasked with the uncomfortable cases, the sex offense cases, the juvenile cases. Well, John, I think it's brilliant that you asked the man this question. Uh, and Kendra, you know, I, asked, I asked both chance. of you. I, and uh, I, said, I'm, I said, I'm so glad Kendra's here. So uh, let me let me address just one thing. I mean, I, I see in the <laughs> chat like, oh, my God, six hours is a long time, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's policing in America. You've defunded you Columbus, defunded Ohio them. Police Department. You've defunded all the, the – they're short people, so they're they're running call to call to call. They can't even get to this low pri priority four call until six hours later. So what? I mean, everybody was safe, It's and if, if it were an emergency, you could have obviously brought her into the office. Uh, I, I think Kendra would be best, better suited to answer this. My initial thought, however, though, as I mansplain this to her, is that um, – you know, I, I am sure, I am quite sure that there's something in the back of their minds of some officers that they have to assert their dominance somehow. Uh, I don't think that's what she was doing here. She was just being an asshole. And um, <laughs> and I think that uh, male officers and female officers are are the same. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, quite honestly, that there's a higher percentage of female officers I would rather respond to a call with than than the male officers that I used to work with. That's all I'll tell you about that. I, I will tell you, correctional officers, males and females are not the same, and I often preferred working with females. So, Okay, uh, girl John, go ahead with your uh, take on this. <laughs> well, <laughs> without seeing the video, like I said, I mean, I have been in a situation where you're going call to call. It's a busy night, and there are just some cases or calls that, they're on the board for hours and hours and hours. Sometimes the next shift has to take care of it. Like you said, if there's no immediate danger, I don't even know where this was. And Columbus. Okay. So it's kind of a bigger ish area. Yeah. And so I was, again, without seeing the video, I would think she was probably being an asshole because she was pissed off. You don't know what her night was beforehand. And or maybe she's been to this house multiple times. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that that I I have no idea. Um, as far as I mean, you still should conduct yourself professionally, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> um, right. as far as the female law enforcement officer being more aggressive, I I don't feel like I was. I was called aggressive. I was called bulldog when I was working. I I think personally, it's just because. People didn't expect me to be that way. So it was That's more great. jarring because I'm that, a five foot one female. So does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I, I see her point exactly. Like she probably had the exact same disposition as I did, 
but because she's a woman, it, it comes across that she's more aggressive. Whereas I'm just a six foot four, very spelt 200 muscular 31 pounds. You're like a greyhound of a man. Yes. I... <laughs> yeah. A, 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 a silver cobra. Uh, uh, I, I just made that up. I don't know. But, to, but to, re- to you know, reply, so maybe... <laughs> whatever Kendra's answer is, does answer the question. <laughs> Um, I, I just I want to point out to I, I see in the chat felony Melanie gave us a, a tip here uh, something that I missed obviously officer officer Kevin Cram from Algona Iowa Police Department was killed in the line of duty last week also uh, local and surrounding that. schools and athletic boosters ra- raised over eighty thousand dollars for for the uh, the officer's family which I I think is wonderful and and again I, I reaffirm my point that's policing in twenty twenty three. The, the community still cares. There's a very small vocal minority that has chased a lot of people out of the profession. But on the whole, uh, I think that the community still cares. And I think that even the people that were defunding who are now becoming crime victims are starting to see exactly, you know, why, why defunding the police is probably not such a good idea. Also, people in Iowa, uh, the case is kind of a local one for me. I don't live terribly far from Iowa. I've been to Iowa plenty of times. They're just just good people come from Iowa. That's all I'll say about that. I don't yeah. I'm not try to cast aspersions anywhere else, but Iowa is a special place. And everyone makes fun of Iowa. But uh, if you make fun of Iowa and you never go there, you're missing out. Especially if you go to the state fair. Holy moly. It's a <laughs> wonderful time. Anyway, are we done uh, sabotaging ourselves by discussing sex politics on the show for no reason? <laughs> yes, I think. And we we're, have we're, all, we're all three going to be canceled just for discussing this amongst ourselves. Yes, so. I hope so. I, and I can't. Uh, I, I can't. <laughs> Stress enough that we have not come any closer to Kendra's uh, nickname. Is she uh, true crime drama, as as her Instagram handle indicates, and that's J R A M A drama? Is she uh, just just plain Kendra? Is she our new true crime? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so many possibilities. I'm sure we'll come to a resolution by the end. What is of your night. What it, is your proper noun? What, My proper. Yeah, what do you call? Yes, yes your what do you call noun. yourself? Uh. <laughs> I don't have a nickname for myself, so I right. don't know. Okay, we're we're dropping it. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Pumpkin. Uh, no, that's not going to be your nickname. So oh here we go uh, with podcast. the case tonight. <laughs> we're gonna. I don't want to offend anybody. We're gonna go with the case tonight. Uh, and we did a crossover. Here's what I asked Kendra to do. I, I said that I wanted to do this. I I heard this 911 call and it was kind of heavy. Uh. And uh, I wanted to play the 911 call for everybody so John and I can put the 911 kind of spin on it. I could put the law enforcement spin on it. I wanted the true crime aspect to follow up because it's uh, it's got a lot of nuances, this whole case. It's a very interesting story. And Kendra is uh, good at making stories even more interesting than they actually are sometimes. So uh, <laughs> let's just get into this uh, and the address call. address of your emergency? Okay, and the phone number you're calling from? A lot of this was redacted. I just had a 12-year-old boy show up here at my front door asking for help. And he said he just came from a neighbor's house, and we know there's been problems at this neighbor's house. He's emaciated, he's got tape around his legs, he's hungry, and he's thirsty. Okay. Is Is your door locked? No, I'm sitting outside with him on the on the front patio. And he asked us to call the police. What's so he's name? very afraid. 
What's your last name? Redacted. He's 12 years old. Yes. Okay. And can you ask him his date of birth? Can you tell me your birthday? Redacted. Trying to run him through NCIC, see if he's missing. Ah, good point. Okay. And um, is are the neighbors out of their home, or is anybody looking for him that you can see? Okay, John, say that again. Say say why uh, getting the date of birth is so important. They want it. They want to know his the identity of the boy pretty much right away uh, because they can run him through NCIC. What that is is they're essentially going to run it, run his name through the, the computer system like they would a driver's license or anything else. Of course, he's twelve. He doesn't have a driver's license. But uh, what you'll get back is an NCIC hit for a missing person. Now, this is a, a type of NCIC file like a stolen car or anything else where all his data is going to be entered. And uh, there's there's usually other databases, not just NCIC. But since this child has turned up apparently from you know parts unknown in a state of terrible distress, I think we're all going in our minds, and this dispatcher surely is to uh, you know worst case scenario thing. Are we looking at uh, an abducted child who's managed to escape? It's certainly what it sounds like. So I think she's checking for that first. Um, and it's and if she doesn't get a return on him uh, being missing, it really doesn't change anything about the response. But if you know that you are for sure dealing with a missing child. Uh, you know, you, then you have an idea of the scope of the case that you're working on, Drew. She uh, followed up with a great question, in my opinion, and I'm hoping you can shed some light on it. The question was, uh, are you all sitting outside or is the is the parent around? Why do you think she asked that? We're, we're trying to understand exactly what's going on at the scene and what's going on with the kid. Um, I can tell you something from my personal experience. Quick story. One time in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., I wake up and there's a child crying outside of my apartment door. I'm inside an apartment building. I open the door because it's like this kid's right outside my door. And I see my neighbor like comforting this child. And uh, I pop my head out the door. I'm like, is everything okay? And she goes, yeah. And then she closes the door and leaves the kid out in the hallway. This is not my child. And uh, so I have a found child who's crying. He's three years old. And I have to call the police. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I do not feel comfortable having this child inside my apartment. And uh, just because the state of the world, you know, if you're a guy right now, you can't be a helpful stranger to a child. Like if even if walking around the mall, if I see a kid crying, I lost my mommy. Like I am hesitant to approach that child because uh, just the stigma attached with um, with the prevalence of sex offenders and prurient and untoward behavior, you just, you feel that. So I had the kid come in to my apartment. I put him on the couch. I put on uh, how to train your dragon on Netflix. I left the door open and I sat nowhere near the kid. So that when the police came in, they could see that he was fine, that I was nowhere near him, that there was no any kind of danger. I think that's what's going through this guy's mind too, is this kid came up and they're outside with them and they're, uh, they're, they're hesitant to take him inside. This is just my take. It could be way off, but uh, just because uh, they could tell something's clearly wrong and they, they don't want the kid to feel trapped. They don't want him to feel like he's in another unsafe place. Uh, they're trying to be open and honest and, and clear about everything. Uh, but I think the guy's, the guy's horrified. And uh, I think the dispatcher's asking, you know, if they're inside the house so the police understand what they're rolling up on. If I'm way off, Drew, go ahead. 
No, it's not to mention the kid that was outside your apartment probably wanted something to eat, and you did, you were probably too embarrassed to show him that you, all you had were kids' foods like Dino this Nugs. Was, and this was work, so all I had was like condiments in the fridge. I had nothing to give. <laughs> I could make you a plate of um, mayo and ketchup. It's very British. It's fancy uh, sauce, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kendra. What's what's your take on the the question of hey, <laughs> are there people outside watching you? I agree with John. I think it's the guy had this kid just show up at his house, and if you see where they're at, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, so it's a little strange. This kid, as we'll hear, has some other things going on that make it extremely suspicious, and Ooh, I would probably be doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with John. Outstanding. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to the call. Uh, no, we our homes are far enough away. Uh, I'm not sure. How did you get out of the house? Uh, Orange. He went out. He says he just left through the porch at the neighbor's house. Um, her name is Jody Hildebrand. Remember and she that lives name? two doors up the street. Yeah, out here in Cayenne, the houses are far apart. So he walked just under the block to get to our house. He rang my doorbell and asked me to call the police. Does he seem to be under the influence of drugs or alcohol? I don't think so, but he's very thirsty. and. Uh, need an ambulance? I don't think he needs an ambulance. I'll let the cops decide that, but his ankles are taped up and he won't tell us why. Okay. But he has duct tape around each ankle. Yeah, there's sores around him. I think there's a good chance he's been uh... Oh, and he has them around his ankles. I mean his wrists as well. Okay, this boy has been <laughs> he needs <laughs> this kid has obviously been I think he's been he's been detained. He's been he's obviously covered in wounds. Okay. Let's get the paramedics headed over that way, okay? Oh, that's a good idea too. Overcome with emotion the caller is. It's very understandable. Um most people aren't aren't uh conditioned to, to see you know, even cops or, or paramedics, firefighter paramedics we don't like to see the little ones hurt. It's, it's that simple. And it, it takes a whole different, um, it, it just takes a whole different route when you have somebody that age at home that you can associate that to or whatever. But this, you know, this, this older gentleman obviously is just like, he probably hasn't seen this in his whole life. And now he's, you know, he probably lives in an affluent neighborhood. He's not really expecting to see this. And John, what's her affect uh, and, and what's, uh, you know, like, how does that help or hurt the situation? Dispatcher is uh, feeling exactly what he's feeling in this moment. You can't hear this stuff. You can't hear the guy's voice break and not feel something like uh, she asked for the ambulance. He says, no, that's because he's thinking, you know, is this an emergency? He doesn't understand that an ambulance can roll to a scene, you know, at the speed of traffic. Anytime you have someone who's a victim of, of a crime against a person, any kind of physical crime, any sign of abuse, we're definitely going to have an ambulance there. 
Um, so, you know, she had, she's just said like, we're going to send paramedics. And he said like, you know, that is a good idea. Uh, but her heart is breaking too for the rest of this phone call. Drew, I don't know how much you, you truncated it, but what was frustrating to me at listening to it in its entirety was when you are the dispatcher and you have something, you know, emergent going on, certainly dangerous, certainly, but like heartbreaking, like your unit cannot get there fast enough. Uh, right. the, the police officers that are on approach, they're making phone calls, they're doing things. And as the phone call ends, uh, the dispatcher has to keep hanging on the line. Gather, she wants to be productively engaged. So she's asking certain questions that are helpful, but maybe not critical because having the units respond, getting the police there to, to take command of the scene, take custody of the boy, get the paramedics there to look him out, look after, after the boy to assess him. That's the most important thing. And to the dispatcher who is hearing this, she can't do anything to make this go faster than to, to get the units there. And so her heart's breaking, you know, maybe this dispatcher is even a mother, but to be honest, even if it was me, I'd be moved by this. I'd be like, I, you have my best efforts right now. You have a hundred percent of my attention. And, and Kendra, so I feel for, feel for the dispatcher. Go ahead. I'm sorry, John. Uh, Kendra, a female officer handling a child abuse call is a little bit different sometimes uh, or a sexual battery call. I hate to like delineate between male officers and female officers. I tend to think that we're, we all do the same job. Um, but, there's a caring and nurturing gene that some women have that uh, some guys don't uh, <laughs> uh, and vice versa sometimes. But uh, is that your experience? Yeah, I think especially with the little ones, if they see a woman show up, they kind of associate that with maybe mother. Um, it's a little less alarming to see a younger woman or even just someone who's resembles maybe a, an adult woman in their life that they look up to. It's, I feel like it makes them feel a little more comfortable. And unfortunately, um, most of the time, the perpetrators in those cases are men. So they may also have some sort of reaction to yeah, true. You know, speaking to a man. So, yeah, I do think there is a difference between men and women on those on those cases. Let's see. Um, has he told you where his mom or dad are? Haven't asked him that. Hmm? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know where your mom is? Yeah, I'm sure that that doesn't matter, son. Do you know where your mom and dad are? Well, actually, I don't know where my mom is, but I do know where my dad is. He's not anywhere here. No, no, no. Nowhere. Okay. No, he doesn't seem to. He says he knows where his mom is, but. Uh, he doesn't um, know where his dad is. That's correct. I know where my dad is. is his mom home? He, doesn't live he just says he doesn't live around he here. Okay. Separate for the point. Is his mom area? And is your mom around here? Have you seen her lately? No, he doesn't know where she is right now. Does he know his mom's name? What's your mom's name? Ruby Frankie. Ruby Frankie is his mom's name. Okay. How do you spell the last name? F-R-A-N-K-E. F-R-A-N-K-E. Okay. And does she live in the area? No, I'm not sure where she lives. He's uh, he's trying to help us, but he's... That's okay. 
We don't want to stress them out too much. The officers will go over all these questions with him anyway. I just want to stay on the phone with you until we get some help there, okay? Yeah, yeah. What's your name? My name is... Redacted. Um, can you ask him if any other children were in the home he came from? Okay. Um, was there any other kids up at Jody's house? Anybody else? No, I, I was. Uh, yeah, this is the 30th of the, or excuse me, the 29th of August. It'll be the 30th of August. Okay, uh, John, do you want to address uh, Abby's question there? I didn't see it. Is there a reason why he doesn't talk to the boy directly? Or why she doesn't, the dispatcher? Right. Um, because there's he, the caller's an adult. Um, generally, I mean, any question you need to get from the kid, you know, he's already interacting with someone that he he apparently trusts enough to disclose this information to. And by the way, uh, a, a kid leaving the scene of a, you know, what we now know is a domestic child abuse situation is incredibly brave. So he's already he's already vested something in the guy that he's talking to and uh, putting somebody on the phone. Uh, there's a personal disconnect there where it's like, oh, you've you know, you're you're talking to me. We have a bond. You heard him call the boy's son, you know. To, to just hand the phone and say, you know, here, tell them what's going on. It's not, uh, it's, it's not the kindest thing to do. And the questions that she's asking right now are not, are not like critical questions. If we were dealing with an adult, you know, I still, I might want to talk to the adult directly, depending on, you know, what's the immediacy and what's the trauma level. But uh, I think it's best to talk to an adult because uh, he can talk to the child and he could kind of detect what's going on with him and, and kind of filter it back to the dispatcher. And, and I don't know, I guess I'm not articulating this properly, but, but no, that's put, a, put, exactly put a sense right. of realism into what's going on, you know? So he, yeah. he has that, he has that objectivity about it. Go ahead, Drew. All right. So I'm, I'm going to cut the, the call short uh, here. Uh, th this is, there was one part of the call that I really wanted to get out where um, the, the, the caller says uh, he gets upset again and he says the kid, he blames himself. He's blaming himself for this. Uh, and it's it's just gut wrenching to think that that's uh, that's what's happening in that house right now. Like they're that's, trying to. That's how it is, though. And I could tell you from, from personal experience that the stuff that I grew up with, I believe that it was a secret that we were not to talk about it. Uh, that we were the only ones in the world that that had these strange things going on in, in our home. And my entire life, until I was eighteen and I moved away, I never spoke to anybody about what went on with me. So for this kid to leave the house and confine in a perfect stranger to say, I need help with what's going on is a daring act of bravery that frankly I never had as a kid. And, uh, it's incredible. So it's not to be minimized at all. No. Um, Kendra, uh, I, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you to tell the rest of the story. Uh, I just, I wanted to get the 911 call out and for people to understand, what it's like. I mean, I, you know, I can give a perspective on what what goes into a child abuse investigation, uh, but I think the more poignant stuff falls in the true crime realm of who mm. Ruby Frankie was and Jody Hildebrand. Yeah. So 
Ruby Frankie is obviously this boy's mother. And like you said at the top of the episode, she was a YouTube personality. She had a channel called Eight Passengers, and it was a, a basically like a one of those family vlogger type of channels. So she has six children. Two of them are adults when this incident happens, and she's got four minors in the house. Up until, I think it was 2021-ish, somewhere in that range, um, her and her husband were running this YouTube channel, and they were a regular family. She kind of came under fire because some of her parenting skills or style was considered a little abusive. Well, a lot abusive by the internet. <laughs> and um, she would, <laughs> she would like withhold food. She was very emotionally abusive. She would embarrass her kids on the internet for likes. There was one, one time where she got into a car crash and she was like, filming her kids like up in their face before she called an ambulance um just really odd stuff like that so in like 2021 like i said this woman jody hildebrandt this other character she comes into ruby and her husband kevin's lives as a um, marriage counselor um i checked this woman's license because a lot of times these people are like full of shit basically she was licensed (laughs) um she was a licensed uh family counselor in the state of utah and i mean that's not too uncommon but she moved in with them for whatever reason she moved in with ruby and and kevin (laughs) that seems that seems a little uncommon yeah it's it is a little weird so She's in their house trying to fix their relationship, but ultimately Ruby ends up kicking Kevin out of their home and is now with their children, with this woman in their, in their house. So at this time, Ruby and Jody start a podcast through Jody's self-help program called Connections. And I, I went to this That's website. Connections, to, connections with an X, by the way. Yes. Very campy. Yes. Yeah. Well, she's <laughs> very different. Um, in her own words, she states <laughs> on her uh, website, she says, I began practicing in the psychotherapy world and my patients were not healing. So... <laughs> She moved on to this connect, this bright new connections program that she made up has this podcast with, with Ruby and they're just spouting off all of this horrible family advice, essentially. Um, Ruby's sister-in-laws, Kevin's sisters, they say that this is when a lot of the really scary abuse started to happen with the kids when this woman infiltrated their lives. And they described her as a cult leader, which actually makes a lot of sense to me because, Mm -hmm. I mean, cult leaders, they usually come up with these bullshit programs and they infiltrate people's lives and they just wreck them. So this is happening for a couple of years and for what I don't know why, but Ruby ends up moving in with Jody in 
where was it? Irving, I think, Utah. They were living in Springville, which is four hours north of where this incident happened, where the 911 the 911 call generated. I don't know why they were living with her, um, but it just got worse and worse. Well, and bizarre. Actually, it's, it's a, very it's a, bizarre. It, and it's an important point because uh, Kevin Frankie, who is the husband of Ruby Frankie, who is featured in Eight Passengers also, yeah, was asked to leave the residence. So, so they were living apart at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a bizarre bizarre situation they were That's, separated for that, like thir- 13 months or something yeah and that point. came up in the 911 call she where the mm-hmm. young the young kid said i know where my dad is i don't know where my mom is or vice yeah. versa right so when the 911 call was happened um obviously law enforcement came out they got the story from from the kid and he said i was at Jody's house which was up the street. So they obtain a search warrant and they go into this house and they, and they find evidence that cor- corroborated the story that um, this child gave. I don't want to say his name. Um, he told investigators that he was bound to the floor, that he'd been starved. Um, him and his younger sister were in the house as well as another one of their siblings. Um, that sibling was not there when they executed the search warrant but they did find evidence of as we talked and, about many times before i'm sorry and <laughs> they found all this this evidence and um it, it basically painted this scene of they were holding these children captive and and essentially starving them and torturing them and it, it's it's honestly it's very heartbreaking but like john said the fact that he got out he broke through a window and got out and ran to the neighbor's house at 12 years old and it's just it's it's a very very sad story um today there was or maybe it was yesterday there were updates of some of the abuse that was happening um both of the children were injured from being tied down and all that and they were using like cayenne pepper and honey to treat these wounds they wouldn't call um, for help for these kids it it's really really disgusting what these two women were doing and and i i don't think it's a it's far off to say that they were in some sort of like weird cult-ish relationship um there were rumors of a romantic partnership going on it's just it's very very bizarre all of it's very bizarre i have a quick question for you this is just kind of an aside uh but I was reading today about uh, how the discovery of, and, and I didn't get the exact details, but the the cayenne pepper salve that's made out of cayenne pepper and honey. At first, when I when I read that, I'm like, well, my God, they're like inventing ways to like torture a child because you know you putting just imagine pepper in your wounds, you know, it's it's horrifying. But uh, I was reading this that cayenne pepper is has been use can be used to treat topical wounds it's like not recommended like to do it for an extended amount of time but i ask you this because i actually know that like you have dabbled or you're learning about holistic medicine do you know can can you verify like whether or not that's a good idea or if it really is just as horrible as it sounds or do you know about that it just depends on the extent of the injury um if it is just topical like 
a little rash or uh, you scrape your knee or something like that, sure, you could use that. Um, there's properties in honey and cayenne that help with wound healing. But these children had like deep lacerations from the ropes being and you handcuffs know, and handcuffs. And it it's disgusting what they did to these kids and the reasons why they did it or the reasons that they're giving is because Ruby Frankie stated that these, the, the kid that escaped trying not to use his name, he, he was like kind of a, a problem child, if you will. Um, he was just very energetic. And if you look back on some of her YouTube, uh, escapades she she berates him a lot for just kind of being a kid yeah um yes and it really that's what it boils down to he's he's very hyperactive he plays with his siblings a little rough i think he's like the fifth out of six kids so you know like the stereotype is the younger they get the crazy they they are yeah but he wasn't doing anything super insane um She's claiming that this child developed a, a porn addiction at three years old and began. How, okay. How do you see that at three? So sorry. <laughs> that's that's the question because she's trying to spin this narrative to where it's not her fault, essentially, is what she's I, doing. I, I heard her. She told the police about two of the other kids, possibly that uh, the ones they were segregated from the other two. And I mean that they were possibly in a locked room. She said that that these two children aren't that it's not that they shouldn't be allowed to be around anyone else. So they clearly yeah. had pretty insane ideas about these children. Like like you implied, they they were berating this one boy for being energetic or a kid or maybe not properly properly behaved or well parented. And so their solution to that was to like, at some point go to the store and buy handcuffs and say, this is the solution to dealing with a child. And then there's this locked room, which I believe they had to get a search warrant for. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's children that are inside that. And we're talking about a mental health counselor, like her, her license or whatever has been temporarily surrendered while they're investigating this. But it's like, where do you come from and how do you get counseling licensure, which is not easy to obtain and wind up in a place where you're buying handcuffs for a kid and everything else? I'm so, hijacking a little bit, but I'm just so okay. blown away by this. So to answer a couple of those questions, um, the child that allegedly had this addiction at three years old was um, assaulting other kids in the neighborhood and some of his siblings. This is all according to Ruby Frankie. I don't believe it for a second, but this is what she's telling the court. Um, and that she just couldn't do anything else with him. And he ended up like recruiting his sister, who was the other child that was found at Hildebrandt's home to do these assaults with him. And their solution was to tie them to the floor and starve them because they shouldn't be allowed around other kids. And to, to answer your question about this therapist obtaining a license, her degree is a master of science, which could be literally anything. It, it doesn't have to even be in psychology. So she, she doesn't. Has a, she, she has a counseling license though, which means she underwent some hours of supervision 
actually counseling people. She must have, I mean, yes. you said at one point she had a, had a practice of some kind in which people were not healing. And that's why she had to create this crazy program. <laughs> so at some point, you know, to, to attain a licensure, she's going to be under the supervision of a fully qualified mental health professional of some higher level. She's going to be going through a number of hours where she's submitting case notes of, of mm -hmm. her interactions with patients for approval. She's going to have to abide by the canons of ethics. She's going to have to take, I assume, state tes tests for uh, reaching licensure because that licensure comes from the state. So it's like, this is not a person where we could say, well, she's a lay person. She has some degree in something and she became a counselor. This is a person that we can hold absolutely accountable because she knows the canons of ethics. She knows what it means to be a counselor. And she bought handcuffs from a store at some point. So, yeah, she, she did that for 25 years. And she, so she does know better. It's just I think it goes to show that like this. I, I know education is not everything. Some some stuff is on the job. And she did obtain a license. But also, what formal education, like, where is she getting educated from? Obviously, she's mentally ill. But yeah, it, it's hold, very scary. Hold, hold on, pump the brakes on that because uh, I I hate it when we say, well, it's mental illness, and she may be. Mm. I'm not saying she's not, but uh, whenever we whenever we would just say, well, she's obviously mentally ill. That's a way of making ourselves feel more comfortable because we say, well, we would never behave like her. What if she's not mentally ill? What if she's just an evil bitch? And, uh, and, and it also very means, possible. It, it also means if she's not mentally ill, that she's completely culpable to stand to stand trial for everything that she's done. At no point can we say she doesn't meet any standard. Of, of knowing right from wrong in the in the heat of the moment, you know, or or whatever, you know, we could say that she she is not legally insane and she should not be held to a diminished standard of capacity. So yeah, there, I, there I, is... I resent I resent and I don't I'm not, I don't mean this against you, Kendra, but I, I don't like I don't like that we kind of punch that card really quickly and almost give it out. And I'm not saying that that's what mental illness is. Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I don't even think that's an out, though. I mean, like, I, I think that the psychosis of of thinking that you're that, that that God complex or whatever that you have is a form of mental illness. I don't think it's an out. Uh, I, I, you still have to be responsible for, you know, your actions. I watched a, uh, an interesting um, uh, uh, interview that a guy did who used to be a patient of hers. And he, um, like, you can watch it for yourself. I, I don't want to steal this guy's thunder or, or tell his story wrong, but essentially he was um, abused by a scoutmaster of some sort, and he had he had been re-traumatized a few times. He moved to a different state to try to get away from the whole thing, and he ended up going to Jody Hildebrand as, uh, as his counselor. In fact, it was uh, his bishop of some sort that, that sent him to her. To be the counselor and this is a few years back and then one thing led to another then all of a sudden uh so so it was a couple's counseling session it was a you know he was doing what he could to save his marriage and um they were going along just fine they were just having regular marital problems if that's a thing um and she was counseling him and he was very complimentary of her style and her intelligence and all that other stuff but it took a very wrong turn very quickly and the next thing he knew he was separated from his wife and his wife and jody hildebrand were uh concocting stories that he was sexually abusing his own children and all these other things so um he if i'm not mistaken it was either he or the person that was interviewing uh, him use the term brainwashing like she was kind of like the master of brainwashing and you know is that 
what happened here. I mean, I, I, I think that also, you know, Ruby Frankie has some skin in the game. I don't know that she was even under uh, Jody Hildebrand's care when, uh, when she was making these horrible videos that I was watching today, like th this poor little kid, I, I mean, you know, he was nine, 10 years old and you know, she's got the, she's got the camera on her the whole time, you know, the, the phone camera, but you know, you can see him over here. So this is, you know, just, <laughs> this is America in 2023. The mom <laughs> needs to be the center of attention and, you know, like just, Give me a fucking break. If you're going to parent your kid, parent your kid. And she's having this conversation with him about how, you know, how, what her insight is into why he's misbehaving and asking him, do you see why I see that? And, you know, I see the value in having those conversations with your kid, but I don't necessarily see the value in having that conversation on YouTube. Uh, one and two, she was harsh. I mean, she was totally harsh with this kid. Then they show another video, and I don't know if they're cherry picking or not, but you know they, they talk about how they moved into a new house, and the the oldest son uh, had played a few practical jokes on the youngest son, so his punishment was he didn't get a room. So he he had been sleeping on a beanbag floor or a beanbag chair for I don't know a year. He was sent away to some you know, like a uh, youth, youth camp or whatever to straighten out his discipline problem. It just seems like everybody had discipline problems, but them, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and uh, so it, it, it's, it just, it's this YouTube culture or this, you know, for clicks and likes, let me get on here. She, one of the first videos I watched was her in her car, almost in a panic saying, I just, I haven't been vlogging every day like I should be. I'm so sorry. I have vlogging every day and I should be vlogging every day. And, and that's your focus. Like, how about you be a fucking mother every day? And then, you know, if you can fit the vlogging in, let's, you know, maybe you could do that. I mean, I, I sit here on YouTube and rumble saying the same thing. You can, you don't have six way, kids rumble though. Channel, but, yeah, right. <laughs> you don't have six kids and you tried to make a show about that. You know, you, you put in 29 years as a cop and you waited until you were done with that to have a YouTube show. So I think your priorities are uh, probably yeah. in the right place. You know, you didn't, you didn't let your, your, your YouTube and rumble career dist distract you <laughs> from your police career. So not yet, not yet. <laughs> Uh, uh, so, so Kendra, where, uh, where are we in the story? I mean, did she, so, uh, it, it, I mean, you had mentioned the, there, there was a search warrant that was written. There were a couple search warrants. Uh, do you know what was gained or what evidence was gathered out of those? From what I can tell, it was mostly just the devices or, or not weapons, but you know, the handcuffs, the rope, the, yeah. um, the salve that was, that they used, um, and then obviously the physical evidence of the children being emaciated and injured. Yeah. Um, the charges that were brought initially, it was one count of aggravated child abuse for each woman that was updated to um, six counts of aggravated child abuse for each woman, three different charges against these two children that were found in the home. Um, the different charges included the starvation the emotional and physical um, torment and abuse. And the word torture was also in there. Um, so they each got, you know, the uniform counts. And that's what they're currently being charged with. I, I, I completely good, forgot. But... Yeah, I, I completely forgot to pull this video. I meant to do it. 
it's it is a video of her just just remember this part it's a video of her describing a conversation that she had with her daughter's teacher and the daughter's teacher texted her or called her or sent her an email that said she looked in the girl's lunchbox and she didn't have any lunch today and she's starved she's hungry and her response was she is responsible for making her lunch she failed to make her lunch today her punishment is that she's going to be hungry because that's her job she should be making her lunch hey, yep so how do you now focus the, at being at school for six hours not eating when you're a kid come on now yes now now the thing is the kid was six the kid is six years old. I, I mean, I, I, it's just gut-wrenching. It's, it's just heartbreaking. But sh she's making the case on YouTube that she is a good parent and a strong mom for holding her ground against this teacher who is, uh, you know, allegedly poisoning her child by making her believe that her mom owes her a lunch or something. Um, and and I, obviously, this is the pattern like if she's willing to go out to America on YouTube and explain, no, this is how you parent, then obviously she, she thinks that she's got a screw loose. And then you hit her with the perfect storm of Jody Hildebrand. Then I, I would think things got a little worse. I want to know what's going on with her followers though. She gets on, uh, you know, and, and I never saw what was on YouTube, but she gets on YouTube and extols these very terrible ideas. Who are her followers and what are her comment sections like? You know, are people cheering her on? Is she getting positive feedback? Is that why she no. feels the need to vlog every day? And who are these people? And shame on you, I guess is all I have to say about that. Do you have the answer, Kendra? Because I, I do if you don't. her Well, all of her stuff's been scrubbed now, so you can't even look. But she did have a decent following. And I don't know if it's because, I mean, I think she's under more scrutiny, scrutiny than she has support. But the fact that, like you said, there's people out there that are seeing this. They're hearing the words coming out of her mouth. And for whatever reason, I, I think it's that weird influencer thing where if somebody on the internet looks good, has a, a nice life, a nice house, right. they look put together and they tell you something. If you are an individual that is incapable of critical thinking, you're going to say, well, I, I want that. So I'm going to do what this person says. And I think so that's what her followers were my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, like if I'm not mistaken, this all kind of started during the pandemic anyway, mm -hmm. but I, I know for a fact that she got uh PPP loan. She got pay, uh, paycheck protection plan loans because of her, her YouTube crew was not able to film her and edit and all that other stuff. So she took loans out and they were forgiven. Um, but so when you think about it, that's that's what everybody did in the pandemic. That's that's how the star was born in Joe Exotic, and everybody <laughs> was just glued to the TV. And uh, stars were born all over the place. And all of a sudden, she's queen mom. Uh, but to answer directly the question, John, there were several allegations of child abuse that came from the comment section. There was a change.org petition that said, we want to send local law enforcement over officers over to this house to investigate them. And they had survived several investigations. They had survived several visits from child protective people. And of course, when the child protective people show up, even unannounced, 
the house looks put together. The kids are, you know, it's a it's a affluent community because they're making a lot of money on YouTube. The, the, Pardon me, can I see your torture dungeon? I mean, yeah, you, right. And a lock room somewhere. What are these ropes and handcuffs for? So, like, when they show up, everything looks normal, and the kids, just like you alluded to a little while ago, John, w- with Stockholm, are not going to say. Yeah. You, you know, they're not going to blink out. Help me. They're they're just like, yeah, no. I mean, I I. Every once in a while, I screw up, and my mom punishes me. I remember and, CPS visiting my house very well, Drew. I remember exactly how yeah. that went, and you described it to a T. Does your mom ever spank you? Only when I'm bad. That's exactly right. how it I went. Mean, this is horrible. This is all very horrible. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's so that's what these kids endured. But it's a great question you ask because – like, how can she get away with <laughs> telling America how to parent when she's telling him, giving him this horrible advice? But she didn't. And and I think that that was the frustration of most of their neighbors, which drove them to the Hildebrandt, uh, jo- to Jody Hildebrandt. And I, I think even the Hildebrandt neighbors were concerned about those kids. And through months and months of trying to get CPS, trying to get law enforcement to catch him in the right place at the right time. In fact, their daughter, the, the, the oldest daughter, went off to Brigham Young University and she was she had cut off communication with them altogether. So the day that she was arrested, she put on her her little Instagram story, you know, the 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 photo of her mom being led to a police car and it said, finally. Yeah. So like she was she was kind of broken free from that situation. Yeah. I, uh, I understand that all, all too well as well, but, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe there was sort of a sick fascination with this, uh, bad mom on the internet too. People, uh, I'm sure there are people out there who are calling for good things, but there's probably people out there that sort of enjoy that, uh, lurid stuff. The caller did say at one point that they, and I, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, like, we thought she was bad, but we had no idea how bad she was because, you know, yeah, finally well, he saw the truth of what was going on. Go ahead. Put, just putting it in these terms, uh, John, like people follow Dave Ramsey <laughs> and they follow his rules. But who, who made Dave Ramsey the king of money? It just so happens, you know, it just so happens that he's earnest. It just so happens that, you know, his methods work and it just so happens that. You know, he has credibility, but like if she's the Dave Ramsey of parenting and people <laughs> follow that bullshit, um, you know, a lot of kids probably ended up getting hurt over this. Like she was just from what I was watching and maybe Kendra, you have a different take, but she was just uh, an extreme punisher. So if like, for instance, one kid violated the iPad rules at the beginning of the summer, so the entire brood of children had their electronics taken away for the entire summer so she was just to the extreme like instead of just addressing the one kid and making it a moderate punishment she went to 11 on all of the kids um and you know so maybe some people just fell right into that like oh maybe this does work i i could see that appealing to certain people because i mean they we talked about this uh, on last call and uh Tansy talks about it all the time but just how people aren't held accountable like we talked about those two kids that ran that police officer off the road and how you know there's never been any consequences for them and will there be now uh, a mother who at least at face value is trying to say, I'm a mother of consequence. When my children do something wrong, I address it, you know, even in her insane fashion, I could see where that maybe that would appeal. In my opinion, I think she's just from watching the videos and 
seeing this story unfold. I think that she enjoyed the attention and validation that she was getting from her followers. And she has some major malfunctions. And I don't think that she gave two rats asses about what it was doing to her kids. I mean, in that happens a lot with these family vloggers, if we're being real. I'm not saying they're all abusive, but the attention that you're getting, like these children are having their most vulnerable and embarrassing moments exposed to the world by the one person who's supposed to protect and love them and guide them against their will because they're children and they can't do anything about it. In the, the video where she got into a car accident, her first thing was to turn her phone on and run around the scene like, oh my God, oh my God. Like she's, capture this. It, it, like she's in some horror movie and then she's pretending to dote all over her kids like, oh, that could have been us. Like it should have been us. Like I, I love you all this BS. And you just look at her kids' faces and they're just totally blank. I mean, it's very, very sad. And she is a very um, disgusting person in my opinion. And I think that her... Um, collaboration with Jody Hildebrandt was just like the last thing that the world needed to be Fire honest. Yeah. Uh, you, yes. You had two, two horrifying people meet up and become friends. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the result of that. That's why it was mm -hmm. so extraordinary. They, they obviously reinforced each other in their terrible ideas. I, yeah. I tend to agree with uh, Christy that, that she, uh, she relied heavily on her religion, which was the Church of Latter-day Saints, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe that made uh, gave the appearance that she was more wholesome than she actually was. Uh, but it just it kind of goes to show you that you don't know what goes on behind closed doors in anybody's house. I, I can tell you, you know, without shaming anybody, I, when I was a, a young supervisor, I had to respond to the house of a contract employee, somebody that was responsible for uh, a lot of our uh, psychological evaluations. I don't want to say anything beyond that. Uh, I will say, though, that the face or the uh, professionalism that I saw normally was not exhibited the night I was there uh, handling a domestic at that person's house. Um, it definitely wasn't. It was. I was dealing with two 14-year-old kids, basically. Uh, but they were both in their 50s or 60s or whatever they were. Well, uh, about that, Drew, you know, we talk about the stigma of getting mental health care as a police officer and how, you know, people fear the department finding out and what that means. And Eric talked about that on Tuesday, you know, if you're special forces and you're trying to get health care. Who watches the watchers when healthcare right. professionals need to get health care? Who do they go to? Because. You know, if it, if it comes out in a session that they say something, you know, their counselor has certain obligations to report and things like that, and they can put their own career and their own uh, reputation in danger. And I think it's very often the case that just like how police officers are not getting help for themselves, it's very possible that mental health counselors are not getting help for themselves. And I'm not saying anything about Jody Hildebrandt at all because she is just like that uh, one police officer we discussed at the start of the show. Jody Hildebrandt does not represent even a a a fraction. Of, of mental health care professionals in this country who do care, who, who have a shred of human decency inside of them, who abide by at least a, uh, a a basic standard of moral ethics that would prevent them from doing this. So just uh, to make sure that we're not, you know, casting too wide a net, mental health professionals need help. I'm sure it's hard for them too. It's hard for them to find networks that can give them that help. And uh, Jody doesn't represent them either. Um, 
I, I think this is a case of parental il- uh, illness, uh, John. We all, you... we all take a shot when that happens. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to, just to break it up a little bit, go to a phone call. We're going to wrap it up very nicely here. David, uh, I, I'm going to ask, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Drew. <laughs> can can America can people in the chats hear him? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you're in some kind of rowdy atmosphere. Uh, I I don't know if the the callers. I mean, I don't know if the people in the chat can hear you, so we may not need to go any further. But nope, no, David, which is too bad. Okay. What is blue but not very heavy? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Light blue. Oh, light blue. Very good. David, I'm unfortunately, I'm seeing in the chats that nobody can uh, hear you, so <laughs> this does not make for a compelling podcast. I'm sorry that you waited two hours and 21 minutes to speak to us. John, uh, uh, Kendra, do you have anything else to, to put a little bow on this uh, story? Are, are they still in jail? Are they being yeah, held on bond? What's going on with the case? Without bond? they have, they do. There's still no bond. Um, they just had, they had a initial appearance and then one hearing because they were arrested at the end of August. So it, it's still really new. Um, the updates from the search warrant came out, like I said, yesterday. Um, and Ruby Frankie made those statements about the um, assaults at the last hearing. So we're still waiting for pretty much everything else to happen at this point. Um, from what I understand from the from Kevin's attorney, that uh, there was a reporter that snuck into that hearing and reported mm-hmm. everything that she said. None of that information was supposed to be released, so the judge is right. not very happy with it um, because I think America is starving for the information. And yeah, it's it's like a it, it's it's a compelling story and blah blah blah. There's but there are you know six kids we're dealing with that are, have been affected for their entire lives and and mm-hmm. they don't deserve the the negative attention that this is going to bring. I'm sure that they're just trying to move forward. Um, and it's going to be a long road for all of them, I would think, but, um, you know, I, I, I yeah. don't know, but again, here we are talking about it. So, well, the youngest four are in, um, CPS custody right now. Um, and I think something that people don't understand, um, I know America wants answers immediately to these, types of cases because it's atrocious and you just want to answer the question why but there's a reason why things move at a certain pace and certain things have to fall in place and happen before the public can get answers if we want them to have a a good fair trial and get convicted there's certain there's just some information that we're not privy to and we shouldn't be privy to to me, if you want to know all of the disgusting details of this child abuse case, there's something wrong with you. Um, but I understand that people want justice quickly, but there's, there is a process and it's there for a reason. So it can be done correctly and doing things like sneaking into hearings and basically, I don't want to say whistleblowing, but you you're telling all of the nitty gritty it does gum up the works and it makes it harder for everybody involved to yeah. get, get the justice. 
The yes. juror pool gets tainted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you put the whole case in jeopardy. I, I mean, yes. I, I said this a few episodes back, and I, I still maintain this. Like everybody's like, well, that that nine one one call should have been released a long time ago, um, and I still maintain this. It's none of your fucking business. Mm-hmm. If they want to release the nine one one call, they'll release the nine one one call, and you'll hear it when they release it. What what's like, the public nobody interest? Owes you anything? Yeah, what's the public's interest in a speedy release? It'd be one thing if we had uh, somebody at large or something, and the public needed to understand what was going on in the case. Maybe you could release some detail or something. But in a case where you clearly have children, and anytime you have a criminal case going on that is involving children, certain. And, and Drew, you know this too, with uh, with with sex crimes and other things like this. There's certain things that are not going to be available to the public, like they right. are in other criminal cases. But what's the interest of the public of having this information, even as early as we do have it? I'm not sure what it is. Um, other than nosy America. Other than mm-hmm. just, I mean, I believe there's a there's a broad there's a broad right for the American people to know to have certain transparency in the criminal justice system. I don't think like arrest should be secret or whatever. But but beyond that, you know, I don't I don't think that there's any public interest in having this specific thing detailed. There was a question for you, Drew. That had I been smart, I would have asked you earlier, just because it's a general police procedural question. If you're the officer who rolls up on scene and you've got the reporting party there and a little kid. And uh, he's got duct tape on his, his wrists and his ankles, and he's got wounds on him. And uh, again, I, I, I don't want to like confuse the facts here, but uh, he does have siblings. So you have reason to believe that some other juveniles may be in imminent danger, Drew. Yeah, you consider that exigent circumstances to go over that house to kick in a door? Are you still going to get a search warrant and do it the longer way? Or like, what is your opinion as a shift supervisor leader? And Kendra, I could also ask the same question of you because you have saved more children than I have. So please go ahead. It's going to depend on uh, on his uh, answer to the questions. I mean, obviously, we want to treat uh, the kid you got in front of you. So EMS is needed. You're going to need a photograph before they start treating. So get your camera out and, and start documenting and uh, pay attention to every word that kid says. But if there's reason to believe that, that that little girl's in there, yeah, somebody at some point is going to have to go knock on the door pretty quickly and, and, and save her uh, if there's a belief that she's being abused. If there's a belief that she's in there tied up, well, uh, I mean, maybe we can uh, slow run. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and and that might be the time to procedurally get the search warrant so nobody can... Uh, well, no one's going to deny entry in that situation anyway because we could claim the exigency of uh, uh, of the kid being tied up. But um, yeah, obviously the, uh, it, it's going to depend on what the first kid says. Um, you know, yeah, if, where, it, where the kid is in the house. And then obviously, you know, once you're inside, if you've located the kid at that point, you probably can't continue to search for these other details like the tape and the salve that was found in the locked room. Right. Definitely not. I mean, you're, you're going to remove everybody from the house and write your search warrant from there. And then, you know, there are people that were making a, um, much ado about the fact that there were search warrants written the following day and served the following day. Well, that's, the first day they they did a search warrant for uh, the the instruments of the crime, like the rope and and to get into the house and to all that. And then they recovered phones in there. Well, you just because you recover a phone doesn't necessarily mean you can search the phone. You have to write a new search warrant for the phone. Mm-hmm. And once that's approved, then you know then you can get into the phone. So um, you know sometimes there's a delay in that. Uh, sometimes that's the reason for the second or third search warrant, but. They um, had to write one for the uh, locked room as well. Oh, wow. So from what I read, yeah. So they didn't find anything in there. But yeah, as you go through the the house, you find things that 
you can't just are, like you said with the phones and stuff you have to get other search warrants and stuff like yeah. that yeah so. they're not they're not covered by the first one when the judge signs off on that you don't just have mm -hmm. infinite scope when you write a warrant you have to put very limited and specific scope on where you're going and what you're looking for you know if they if you know if there's plain view exceptions of course if you go into the house and uh, you're looking for duct tape and you see drugs like of course you're not just going to turn a blind eye to the drugs you may not end up charging them because that's not what you're there for but you know in, in terms of finding a, a locked room that you didn't even know about the time you that you wrote your first search warrant well the judge doesn't know about that either and the judge didn't sign off on that so you would need another more specific warrant so that's why you would see warrants being reissued particularly as the investigation advances mm -hmm. yeah sometimes the yeah. the previous warrants are incorporated by reference like they're the 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 warrant uh, instead of rewriting all the facts, you'll just refer to the other warrant and, and, and make sure that it's a part of the new warrant that you're making. So, um, heavy I know, stuff tonight? I, yeah, I was heavy. I know uh, if you guys are interested in how warrants work, we have Failure to Stop Academy on this channel. Drew did a, a full breakdown. If you ever wanted to know how to write a warrant as a civilian or <laughs> if you're a police officer who has no idea what you're doing, that is a great place where you could also go. <laughs> to find out how to write a, write a search warrant. So Drew, Drew puts on a master class, puts that 29 years of experience to work for you. <laughs> we are a family of podcasts here on Failure to Stop. On Monday, we have a show called Uncuffed, and it's two former uh, comedians. Uh, I'm sorry, former cops that have turned into comedians. One of them is very <laughs> washed up. One of them is J. Darrell White. The other is Eric Tanzi. Tuesdays, we have our friend Kendra who does uh, true crime and she ha has a, an amazing show on Tuesday nights with uh, our friend, Eric Tanzi. Uh, Wednesdays is a show called last call. Our amazing producer, Josh from dead Lake media teams up with Eric Tanzi and they bring you all the best and greatest current events. So, you, so the first responders don't have to watch the legacy media because we know whatever they say, we believe the exact opposite because they are lying to us. And on Thursday nights is where we're sitting right now. The chair I'm sitting in is called the comm center, not necessarily the chair, but the show. And it's John and I, where we break down 911 calls. This is for the dispatchers and to bridge the gap with first responders and civilians. And then Fridays, like tomorrow, we're uh, going to uh, do a show called Breakdowns. We do that every Friday, Eric Tanzi and I do. We put our experience and our spin with uh, reaction videos to current uh, events in law enforcement. Let's not forget Sunday, which is night shift, top secret information. It's conservative aunt Anthony Ramondi and Eric Tanzi, and they delve into the world of the supernatural and beyond the grave. And let's not forget our brother podcast. We have two of them. Uh, one is uh, called the Antihero Podcast. We have a producer from that show sitting right on our panel tonight, Kendra produces that it's a wonderful podcast it's uh it's two former uh, special forces guys slash law enforcement officers who have experience in both but they always have engaging conversation and then we also have a show that only john knows the title to that our producer elijah uh it's called getting a grip on things <laughs> thank you john uh, <laughs> i can I tell by your yeah no i read it in your eyes uh and and it's a wonderful podcast it's kind of christian based and it's it's uh it's it's funny it's it's engaging and uh it's probably going to uh get to the top 10 before any of us will ever uh put on our shoes so uh for the rest of us that are I've, sitting here tonight oh I've, i'm sorry I've, john did you have something yes three things hopefully i remember oh. all three Number one, just a quick uh, reminder, even though I never mentioned this before, uh, Officer Ben Darby, 
has a fundraiser going right now at Pipe Hitter Foundation. It's uh, ending today. It's just for his ongoing legal expenses. He's going back to trial for the wrongful or the wrongful trial of him having to shoot someone in the line of duty. He's charged with murder, uh, life in prison. He's going back. So just go to Pipe Hitter. Support Ben Darby. We still care about you, Ben. Uh, Kendra and I team up on Patreon. We made a, a banger episode that was just us having fun. We're going to be doing that again soon. I know that Brittany in the chats wants us to do more Mad Libs, so we will probably be doing that. And then, yes. uh, and then the third thing. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say uh, thank you to uh, a company called Mountain Films for doing that new intro. Some of you, that Ooh, intro yeah. to our show. Some of you complimented it. It, it was uh, great work. It puts my work to shame. So just uh, thanks to uh, uh, Dewey Nordman's over at Mountain Films for making that for us. We appreciate it, buddy. Kendra, any last thing. words? Well, thanks for having me. I, this was a lot of fun, even though the, the topic was very heavy. And um, I like the collab. I think we should do this more often. Yeah, you'll, re to... you'll replace me in three to four weeks. Don't even worry. <laughs> <laughs> we need to uh, cross thread. Uh, I'm seeing uh, some intelligence in the uh, chat that it's your birthday tonight, John. Oh, the silence is deafening. It is not my birthday. Okay, Tuesday then, probably. It's, so My birthday is November 19th. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> listen, isn't that Election Day? Uh, listen, hit our sponsors, <laughs> Factor Meals. Go to factormeals.com. Use uh, uh, code WOLFPACK50 to get 50% off. Go to officer privacy forward slash uh, failure to stop. Uh, or is it officer privacy forward slash WOLFPACK, I guess it would be. And uh, also, don't forget Manscaped. Uh, I, 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 my manscape silence, everybody. Yeah, Just my manscape. silence will be deafening here about what I did this morning. And then, uh, <laughs> what else, uh, John? What's the last one that I, uh, Ghostbed? Let's not forget Ghostbed. You can go to Ghostbed and, and use uh, code Wolfpack. There's a very cool promo with uh, the, the fella from uh, uh, the Antihero podcast and our very own Eric Tanzi, who, uh, who I guess does a lot of stuff around here, apparently. I don't. I don't know why. Uh, so for John, Dead Leg Media, Josh, our producer, and Kendra, whose nickname we still have not determined, I say, good day, Seth. John, stick around. This is not a haunted hayride, sir. Cuts up. Giddy up. <laughs>